Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. Who's ready to get started? Yeah, I'm ready to get into the Word of God. You know what we start today? Revelation. Huh? You excited? I'm excited. I really am. So before we get into Revelation, uh, just a kind of a little intro. I know I don't usually, everybody's like, wait, what's wrong with you? You okay? Well, I did a funeral yesterday. I mean a wedding. And I wore this suit. And I thought, I only wore this thing once. Three, no, two times? Maybe two times? So I'm going to get my money's worth out of it. I'm going to wear it today. So I've got a lot of compliments. I appreciate it. I appreciate you helping me down the, the sin road of pride. <laughs> but I've got a little, I've got a purpose in this. So it's not just to look good. Uh, not saying that I do. I'm not trying to be prideful again. <laughs> Is it coming across that way? Oh. Is that it? I didn't button this top button because it chokes me. But I'm not supposed to tell you that. You can't really see it. Okay. <sighs> My wife says, stop. But I got to build this up a little bit because I got a purpose in this. We're going to get into Revelation. And, and this morning, uh, the crowd has really kind of gotten a little bit larger since we're here. So I'm glad. Glad to see all you guys. Um, I didn't think anybody was going to show up. I really didn't. It was like 10, 10, 15, 10, 20, and there was like eight people here. And I was thinking, here's the true and the faithful. But uh, glad to see you this morning. Uh, I'm glad that you're here because, now I hope we get our live stream working. From what I understand, it wasn't working. Is it working now? Okay, it's working out good. Because this morning will really be key in, in understanding as we go through Revelation uh, not that it would be, you know, a detrimental if you didn't grab this one, but we want to start in the prologue or the introduction of the book this morning, the first little section there, the first three verses. And what I want to do is kind of just give a, a foundation to the book. Um, what, you know, how are we to understand the book? What, what type of literature is it? What, uh, what, what's the purpose? Why did, why did John write Revelation? And, and beyond that, why did God give it to Christ, to give to the angel, to give to John? Why, why, did, why did he do all of this? What's it for? So that will really help you as you start to read the rest of the book, don't you think? That if you knew what the intention of the book was to begin with, uh, that way you can kind of, as you read, ask those questions. Okay, this is what I'm supposed to be learning as I read this book because we know that it was built on this foundation. This is the type of literature that it is or the type of genre. And so as we go through, I want to look for these clues. I want to look for uh, what God would have me to understand uh, as I read and what he's trying to show me. Because if I'm trying to, to understand one thing, when God's trying to uh, uh, communicate another, it's going to be really hard for me to get the accurate message of the book, right? That's, that's practical, that's logical, that's, that's understandable. And so this morning I want to kind of give you a foundation of what the book is for, why we should study the book, and uh, how we should study the book. So as we get into that, the first and foremost thing I want to do is I want to pray. Because that's what I've been doing throughout this whole study of this book is praying that God would give me insight to the book and that it wouldn't just be regurgitating other authors. And there's many commentaries on the book. There are some that are way out there that that I don't think hold any water. 
And then there are more conservative commentaries on the book, and there's in between, there's all over the place. So uh, at the end of the day, we read the book, and we, we read commentaries, and we study, but we want the Lord to show us through the Spirit uh, which direction we should take and what understandings we should have and what hills we're willing to die on. Um, there was another gentleman, there's been many preachers preached through this book, but there was another uh, guy that I was listening to, and, and he did something I thought was really smart. When he started out his series on Revelation, now this is going to be a rather long series. I've not seen it done in less than about 80 sermons. So it's over a year in the book, okay? So we are launching onto a journey here, but I think that the dividends will be rather large. I think it will be good. But this gentleman started his series on Revelation. He started it out actually with a sermon from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What is that scripture? Love. You know why he did that? Because there is so much, there is so much division over the book of Revelation and its eschatological uh, leanings or understandings or an eschatology. We'll hear that word some throughout this series. You might as well go ahead and, and know what it is. Eschatology is the study of last things. It's just the study of last things. And many people think that the whole entire book of Revelation is only about the last things. And while there is a lot of stuff about the end times and the last things, that's not the only meaning to the book. I would suggest it's not even the primary meaning of the book. Some of you are like, huh? The end times or the, the eschatology found in Revelation is not the major push of the book. No more so than it is in the rest of the Bible. The focus of Revelation is the same focus of all of other scriptures, which is? Amen. Who's y'all's preacher? Y'all, he, he's doing an okay job. Right? Y'all like my three-year-old. What is it, Asher? Jesus. How many people in the Trinity? Jesus. Who's the lion? Jesus. Who's the lamb? Jesus. Jesus. Okay? That would be absolutely uh, accurate because the first line in the book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I wanted to just say that because there's so much division over the book of, of Revelation because of eschatological uh, uh, things that come out in the book and teachings that come out and there's different views on eschatology there's so many different views that i will not take the time to show you all the different views because you can be pre-trib post-trib whatever trib what you want to be you just need to know what the scripture says about jesus and we can discuss all of that stuff later okay i'm not going to go down all of those roads i may do a little defining of terms somewhere along the way but post mill pre you know all that stuff that stuff that we can discuss, you've heard me say, use the terms open-handed and closed-handed issues. Eschatology is absolutely open-handed issues. Me and uh, Keith Sterling, Keith, stand up for one second, just one second. Wave. Now you say, my name is Keith, I'm a dispensationalist. <laughs> Keith is a dispensationalist. He's got good reason to be. This, uh, this joker right here, we go back and forth and he... He can lay out scripture. He asks me questions that challenges me. I'm a covenant theologian. I'm, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. But you know what? I love that man. He's my brother. 
We have differences of opinion in eschatology and in covenant versus dispensational theology. But at the end of the day, I respect him. And I know he's got a reason for why he believes what he believes. And I, he knows I've got a reason for why I believe what I believe. Now, he thinks my reason's faulty, and I think his is faulty. But at the end of the day, we both agree on the essential issue that Jesus Christ is king and that he is coming back, and you better be ready. Right? Amen. So while we will get into some eschatology and we will get into some end times things and some, and, and some post pre mill pre-rapture, rapture, is there a rapture? Is that, you know, what is all that? We'll get into some of that. We'll talk about some of that. But at the end of the day, if you're not seeing Jesus clearly, you're missing the whole point. If you're not seeing Jesus clearly, you're missing the whole point. So let's get into the first of the book with that little bit of an introduction there and with that little bit of an emphasis there. Let's read the first part of the chapter. If you would, stand to your feet in reverence to God's word, his holy inspired word. We're going to read the first three verses. Chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word like you've promised even in these verses. I pray, God, that you would write it on our hearts, that you would give us clear understanding that it might glorify you to its utmost ability. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we get into Revelation, we see right from the start, right from the first sentence of the book, right from the first phrase in the book, what the book is all about. The book starts out and says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show. And he goes on. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't, I'm not going to get real technical, but I want to bring something out right here. Because we could tend to think of this one of two ways. And this is one of those things when you and I have had conversations about the difference between Greek and the difference between English. We can see one of those distinctions right here. Many times we don't understand that in a language, whether it be English or in Greek, that we've got to pay attention to the context of whatever's being said so that we can get the accurate meaning. Because sometimes a sentence can mean two different things no matter what language it's in. For, for instance, the revelation of Jesus Christ. What do you, who, who in here thinks that it's the revelation that's revealing Christ? Come on, y'all can participate here a little bit. Who thinks it's the revelation that is revealing Jesus Christ? A few in here. Okay, now who thinks that it's the revelation that belongs to Jesus Christ? A few other ones in here. You see that difference there? Now, I won't get into technical terms, but this is either, uh, 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 it's either a source or he's the object. And so, is it the revelation that is revealing who Jesus is, revealing what Jesus does, revealing uh, just uh, uh, what he's bringing and, and what he has done in, in the past and what he will do in the future? Or is it the revelation that he is giving that belongs to him? You see the difference there? Does everybody see the difference? Raise your hand. There's a, there's a little bit of a difference there. So we need to put this in context and see what exactly does he mean here? Is he meaning that this is revealing him or it's his revelation to us? Or is it both? So he says here, he says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. So right here, right out of the gate, we seem like this is a, that he's the source of revelation. 
that God the Father gave this to Jesus Christ, that he might show it to him, it says. Jesus is the him there. He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, gave Jesus, to show to his servants, who are the servants of God. This is very key to understanding the book. Is this book written to the world? To the church. To the servants. Now, it may be to those in the world that are servants of God and haven't been plucked out of the world yet and brought into the family of God. But this is to speak to the servants of God. To, to speak to the, those who love and call him master. You know, that's the, that's the key to being a servant. Is God your master? Many people claim the name of Christ. Oh, they claim Jesus this, Jesus that. But is he your master? Can you proudly say, I am a servant of the Most High? Would you proudly, would you you readily look at Jesus and say, I am your slave. What would you have me to do today, Master? You know what I'm saying? How many of you think of Jesus that way? Oh, we all want a Savior. Save me from hell. I don't want to get hot. But is it your Lord? You look at him and say, you're my Lord, my God, my master. I am yours to do whatever you will. That's good. That's good. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show. Now, what do we see right off the bat here again? We see the functional relationship between God the Father and God the Son. We see that, that, that God the Father gave this revelation to Jesus. He called him to go. He called him to do. But we also know that it belongs to Jesus as well. Jesus Christ said, no man takes my life from me. You know, the world, they look at this message and they think that this is divine foolishness is what they think. They say, there's a, there's a whole group of people that say, if you believe the Bible, then you just believe in divine child abuse is that there's a whole group of people that say, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So you're telling me that God the Father wanted to save you so he beat his son to death? That makes a lot of sense. And if you're of the world, put yourself in their shoes like you used to be, look at it, you would say, well, yeah, that does look, sound kind of stupid. First Corinthians chapter 1 says this is foolishness to the world, but to those who are believing, it's the hope of life. It's foolishness. It's foolish. That's why you shouldn't expect all of the, all these churches that are trying to cater to the world. Get them in. Get them in. Get them in. Get them in the door. And they fail to preach the word of God so that they can get them in. They don't understand this principle. And Christian, if you think that this Christian message is going to make you popular, you crazy. You are. You crazy. Like, I I mean, you know, all these preachers, and and I've fallen into this category, so I can say this. They want to be cool. They want to be cool nowadays. You know what they skinny jeans? Now, that ain't cool. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. Amen? Come on. If I ain't got an amen all day. You take them skinny jeans and I'll tell you something else later. Hey, if you ever see me in skinny jeans, shoot the guy beside me because I've been kidnapped and he's making me wear them. Okay? I'm just saying. I ain't skinny and I can't wear skinny jeans. I have no idea why I was saying that. Oh, preachers are always trying to look cool. It's the craziest thing. 
And then I've fallen into that category. Don't let me stand up here prideful walking around, you know. I've fallen into that category. I want to be cool. You know, I want to be cool. My, my kids, my three-year-old, we went and had haircuts the other day, Friday. My three-year-old, sitting in the chair, about to get his haircut, tells the hairstylist, says, I want just a little off the sides and so I can move it to the side. You're three. <laughs> You're three. And the, 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 the hairstylist even looked at me and said, she said, you never cared before. <laughs> I said, I don't know where he gets it. Just cut it short. <laughs> we we want to look cool, right? We want to look cool. But this is foolishness. The message that we carry is foolishness. He is saying here, look, I have given you a message, Jesus. I have have placed Christ in this place. And Christ has willingly put himself into service to God and to you. That he would pay your sin debt. That you might become an heir of God. Heir to the throne. That you might be called a brother to Jesus Christ. And this message is going out to the servants of God. And the servants of God are really weird people. And they hear the message. And they say, amen. When everybody else is going, you crazy? You're all weird. Don't you understand? This is just where weird people gather. And if you're not weird, then something's wrong. Jesus was weird. He said things that was weird. Like one time they needed to pay taxes. And he told Peter, he said, go fishing. There's going to be a coin in the mouth of the fish. I mean, what's Peter? I mean, could you imagine the bystander? You know, you're in Sears. And you're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, we got to pay taxes. Where's the the closest pond? And this bystander's going, these guys are are getting blistered somewhere. What you on, brother? (laughs) Slap me one of them. You know, it's just crazy. So the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants. Now, I want you to, I want you to grab on as we go through, because it'll be meaningful in the end, so I'll bring it back around a little bit. All the, uh, all the words that would be in line with or have connotations or meanings that would, that would bring you to an understanding that, that this is revealing or that you will see it or that it will become clearer to you, or uncover something for you, or give you insights. Okay, I want you to kind of catch all of those. So, so far we've seen revelation, okay? We've seen to show, he he said, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness... To the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. How many times? Bunches, right? Now grab onto that. That'll, that'll be uh, significant later. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, 
to those who are in line with him, to those who are obedient to him, to those who are submissive to him. Because when you are submissive to Christ, you accept things that aren't naturally accepted because you're in submission to him. And it takes someone who is in submission to Jesus Christ to receive the word of Jesus Christ. Because if you're not in submission, you know whose word you want to receive instead of Jesus Christ? Yours. Because you make yourselves out to be God. You catching some of this? If you're not in submission to God's word, you can't be in submission to Jesus Christ. You can't consider yourself a servant who is obedient to the master. You want to hear the word of God? You want to see the word of God? You want to feel the word of God? You've got to be in submission to the master of all creation who is the word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show, oh, that's going to be so good. What's he trying to do to his servants? He's trying to show them something. Now, many people, and I have many of you have come, and you've told me, I just don't get revelation. It actually confuses me more than it reveals anything to me. I've had some of you, but many people outside of this church come to me and say, I stay away from the book of Revelation. Because it doesn't do anything but confuse me. Now, as we go through this prologue, as we go through this introduction right here to the book, is that the sense that we get of what God's trying to do? Is this the, is this the confusion of Jesus Christ? Or is it the revelation of Jesus Christ? What does the word revelation mean? You know what that word is in Greek? is uh, apocalypsis. It's this, it's this, it's this uh, idea of uncovering. You took to reveal something like all of you men know what I'm talking about. Because y'all would love y'all's women to reveal to y'all, right? Come on, I've expected a better response than that. You better say amen if she's standing beside you like, well, not really. That's not good at all. We all want our wives to reveal, right? You want to reveal that which is hidden so that you might know. The, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse, this, this uncovering, unveiling, this is being made known. See, that's what the book starts out with. It's not shrouded in mystery. It may be to the unbeliever. It may be to the one who won't do the footwork of understanding, especially the Old Testament. But that's not the intention. You see, without a proper understanding of the Old Testament, you will not understand Revelation. I've come to learn that really quickly. There is, there is estimations on the book of Revelation of just how many Old Testament allusions there are in, in Revelation. Now, there are, there are different estimations, but the lowest that I've seen is roughly 75% of the entire book is some allusion to some Old Testament reference. Meaning that when he writes it down in Revelation, he is bringing it from somewhere in the Old Testament and he's alluding back. So it would be similar to me writing today saying... You remember back when we were at the school and writing it in a different way. You remember what I taught back here? Well, this is kind of what it's like. He's alluding to something in the past, something that's written. You can find a lot of these in Daniel chapter 7. You can find them in Ezekiel. You can find them in Zechariah all throughout. The best way to do that is to get you a good reference Bible and just follow the references. It'll take you back. It'll take you wherever you need to go to show you where those allusions are. Some of the higher estimations are that the book of 
Revelation is up to 95% allusion to the Old Testament. That being said, if you don't know your Old Testament, it is going to be nearly impossible for you to understand Revelation. Nearly impossible. You won't be able to do it. Because you don't have the context for it. Because you don't have the understanding and the backdrop to under to be able to understand it. I'll give you a good illustration that my buddy Stephen Birch gave me the other well it was a few weeks ago now. He said, Brandon, it's, it's kind of similar to this. It, it, for everybody in this room, you grew up in a certain culture in a certain time in a certain way. It doesn't matter the oldest or the youngest in here. We've got a lot of similarities because we all, I think, we all grew up in America, most of us anyway. So if I got out a newspaper or I just started to draw on my whiteboard that I do sometimes, and I drew a, uh, a, uh, a donkey, okay, and, and that donkey uh, was, he had a baseball bat like this, and it was raised up way high. And then I drew an elephant laying on the ground. And the elephant had a big ring of stars going around his head, right? And on that bat, it said, War of Iraq. What would you automatically assume that this was? Huh? A political cartoon that, that said what? The Democrats knocked out the Republican with what? Issues on the war of Iraq. Now, that was, I mean, that was just a picture. How did you know all of that? It's because you grew up in these times. You don't need a whole lot. You need, you need a few pictures. Draw it up for you. You know exactly what he's talking about. You have the cultural backdrop to understand what he's talking about. You have the knowledge of what these symbols mean. You have the understanding of what they represent. And it's not hard for you at all. You say, oh, it's the Democrats whooping up on the Republicans because of the Iraq war. That's pretty easy. He done knocked him out. It's the exact same thing in Revelation. As John is writing, now they say, well, this is apocalyptic language. It's coded language. It's coded language so that nobody can understand it except for the, the, the elite. Now, only those who are real, oh, only the elite. This is just for a, a few select individuals that, that God blesses with, with great knowledge and insight. Negative. Negatory. Really, most, most Hebrew children, most Jewish children that grew up in, in that culture would have understood well exactly what he was saying. Just like uh, most children uh, that are above the age of 10 would probably be able to tell you what that cartoon was about. They knew because they had the backdrop of the Old Testament. And you've got to remember, it wasn't like it is nowadays back then. You didn't have kids playing video games all day long, wearing their thumbs out, learning nothing. <laughs> Except how to beat Jurassic Lego World. I'm feeling guilty up here, can you tell? Our kids, are, they're suffering. But, but, but that's beside the point. You didn't have that then. What'd you have? You had the oral traditions. Stories that were passed down from generations. They heard about Moses. They heard about the exodus from Egypt. They heard about the plagues. They could tell you everything. They didn't have a radio. They didn't have a PlayStation. They didn't even have books. Unless you were really rich, you didn't have books. You had oral tradition because everybody was so broke. 
And so they would tell you stories, and I can imagine that with nothing else to do, the kids would love to sit around and listen to Pops tell the stories of the old days. And they would be on the edge of their seats, and they would want to know, well, what did Moses do again? How many locusts were there? Frogs? Frogs? Really? There was frogs? Tell me that one about David again. Oh, man, I just got convicted up here. How many of our kids, they say, will you tell me about David again? Tell me about David again. Tell me, tell me about Isaiah. Tell me again about, tell me again about Elisha when those stupid kids was, was making fun of him because he was bald. And they said, you old bald head. And he called bears out of the woods and they came and, and tore those kids apart. Yep, that's in the Bible. But the whole point is, is that the audience would have understood this. It would have been revel, it would have been revel, revelation. It would have been revolutionary. It would have been revelatory. Is that a word? That is a word, isn't it? They would have known when they told these stories. They would have been like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." God, my whole point is spending so much time on that is that this is not to shroud you in mystery. It is to open up. It is to open up your awareness of Jesus Christ, to give you insight into who he is and what he's doing and what he's done. The book of Revelation is not to confuse you. It's to bless you. As we go on, it says, the things that must soon take place. Now, here is uh, some of the eschatological stuff. When he says the things that are to soon take place, is he saying that, Soon in like a few months, soon in like a few years. You know, everybody says, well, well, a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. Yeah. Uh, So what does he mean by soon? Is it soon in John's day? Is it soon in his reader's day that would come after? Is it soon in our day? Is the Bible a a, a fraud now? Because it has not been soon to, in some measurements, you know, it's been, well, nearly 2,000 years. Uh, hmm. Well, let's think about it for a second. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Now, hold on to that one second. And I'm going to try not to do this a ton, but I want to jump forward just a little bit. Look over in verse 19 uh, of the same book. I mean, the same chapter. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. And he tells John, he says, write, therefore, the things that you have seen. Okay, now, is that past tense or present tense? Have seen. That's past tense. He says, write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, is that past, present, or future? Present. And then he says, and those that are to take place after this, is that past, present, or future? So he says, write, therefore, the things that you have seen, the things that are, and the things that are to take place after this. And so here could easily, this doesn't mean the Bible's a fraud, because when he says the things that are to soon take place, he could very well mean, and I believe that he does, the things that are about to uh, inaugurate or start or show that this kingdom has already been inaugurated, that, that these are the things that are soon to take place to show you as to the beginning of the end. And we see the beginning of the end starting even before this book was even written as Jesus Christ went to the cross and secured salvation for God's elect and did all the work necessary to properly honor and glorify God the Father. The kingdom 
the end has already begun. We'll see that um, some more here. And you don't get much disagreement on that part. Is that the end has already begun. The disagreement comes on when the actual end is and just how imminent and all these other things. But we don't really care so much about that in this portion right yet. He says, the things that must soon take place. So he's saying, I'm going to show you some things that you're about to see in the immediate future. You're about to see some things start to take place right here soon. And you are going to know that Jesus Christ has spoken. What does he say? He says, uh, to show his servants the, the things that must soon take place. He made it known, there again, by sending his angel to his servant, John. So here it is that God gave Christ a revelation and Christ gave it to an angel that then gave it to John and John is to give it to the servants. So we have this chain of command. We have this chain of communication rather. And this message is supposed to go to the servants to show them the things that are soon to take place, the things that are about to happen. He says here, he says, now what are those things that are about to happen? What are the ways that he's going to show them? He made, uh, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God. And to the testimony of Jesus Christ. To the word of God who bore witness to the word of God. And to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that this here is an equative and. Or it's a parallel here. When he says to to bear witness of the word of God. And to the testimony of Jesus Christ. I think that he is referencing the same thing here. The word of God and the testimony of Jesus is a way of saying that I'm going to tell you all about Jesus. I'm going to, uh, to, to, to show you from the Old Testament the word of God. I'm going to talk to you about how Jesus walked. So it may be talking about different instances in Christ. But what he's saying is this will be a full revelation of Jesus Christ. It will be uh, it, not in the sense that it will be not in the sense that it will be full that I'm going to tell you every single aspect, but that you will have everything that you need to know to be prepared for his imminent return. Does that make sense? It's not an exhaustive understanding of Jesus Christ, but it is an efficient understanding of Jesus Christ for the purposes that he has. He says that he gave to John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, at this point in the sermon... I want to reach back to some of John's other writings. Because this is the language that John speaks from time to time. I want you to look over with me to John chapter 17, verse 7 and 8. He says this. He says, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know uh, in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Sound familiar? John chapter 8 says nearly the same thing. It says that the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him. Jesus is saying that these words come from God the Father. These are revealed. These are absolutely 100% truth. Theonoustos. They are breathed out by God. The inspired holy word of God you can trust Every word of it. And John is saying, I have seen this. I know because I have been witness to this. Now that word witness right there is the same word that was used in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, where he says, there was over 500 witnesses to the resurrection. 
What John is saying is the same thing that you say to other people in the world that you are calling from darkness into light. You don't just get technical with the scriptures, right? How do we win the world? How do we overcome? The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we say, I've seen this happen before. Now, don't hear me wrong. We must have the word of God. Romans 10 says it. How will they know? How will they hear? If nobody preaches to them, that hearing comes from the word. How do we know? We've got to preach the word. But we also must let them know is that this is the word of God. And I've seen it lived out in my life. I have know that I've been witness to it. That there's been a change in my life. And I cannot turn back. John said the same thing. John said the very same thing. He says, who bore witness. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. John was a perfect one, too. You see all of this prophecy coming out. You see, Jesus is the quintessential prophet. He is the prophet of all prophets. And he knows exactly how to reveal to you, Brandon. He knows how to reveal to you, Matt. Daniel, he knows exactly the words that you need. He knows the scriptures to bring to mind, to bring you to a place of understanding that no one else can. I've been told that I can teach. I know other preachers who can teach, but nobody can teach like the Holy Spirit. Nobody can teach like Jesus. And if I say anything good, it was only because Jesus Christ was tempering and pushing my words when it needed to be pushed and shutting my mouth when it needed to be shut. It's all Christ. Jesus Christ is the prophet that brings the word of God to life because he is the word of God. But John is a prophet too, and he gives him this word from God, and he says he made it known by sending his angels to his servant John. He gave him a word. He put a word in his mouth. Who, John, this is qualifying John and some attributes that he has, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. He saw it. What better one? What better one? Than who has seen it. You ever heard a pastor speak? You ever heard someone uh, come to you on the street maybe. And, and, and maybe they were a street preacher. Or maybe they were a friend. And they're telling you all these things. And it seems like good technical jargon. But they have no heart. They have no passion. They are dry textbooks. That are giving you information. They're not breathing out life. On the other hand. I've talked to some young believers. Who have. They're throwing the Holy Spirit up. It's running out of them. But they need some teaching. (laughs) But they get more done than the dry guy who has no passion and has really no life. Have you ever noticed that before? You get a new believer. He's like like running around with like a dog with his tail on fire, catching the whole woods on fire because he's trying to run from the flame. Now, we hope that that fire burns rightly in the fireplace where it doesn't kill people. But it's the, the passion. John, John, John's seen these things. He, he knows. He, he saw it with his own eyes. As a matter of fact, he gives us testimony of it. In 1 John, turn over to 1 John with me. Beautiful words here written by John. Listen to what he says. This is perfect. John says in 1 John chapter 1, chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, Listen to this. Do you speak like this? Can you speak like this? Do you spend enough time with Christ that you see him move? I'm not, and when I say see, I don't mean metaphorically see. I mean like see with your eyes. See, I, I saw it Wednesday night. 
Did you not? I saw the Lord move Wednesday night. Did you not? I saw the Lord move Wednesday night. And about 10 other men in here, they can, you come, you stay around after. I'll tell you what it was. We saw the Lord move with our own two eyes. You say, that's getting a little freaky in here. What, what does he mean by that, Judas? We've got to go. <laughs> Grab your purse. Judith. Leave me alone, Charlie. All right. Chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Grab all the senses here. Watch all the senses that he used. I love it. He's like, take this, you naturalist. That, that's hard with a suit on. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we looked upon and have touched. With our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. That sound familiar? Made known, made manifest. And we have seen it. What was made manifest? The life was made manifest and we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Man, if that's not good. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. Now, did he say, when you are transformed by the word, our joy may be made complete? Is it their reception of the word that is preached that makes his joy complete? What is it? It's just the writing of it. It's just the communication of it. I'm telling you right now, people of God. You say, I'm not a gifted communicator. Nobody will listen. I don't care. Let me give you the sense that wasn't mentioned here. The sense. Smell. Wasn't mentioned here. Smell wasn't mentioned here, but it is mentioned in the scriptures. <laughs> the gospel, you know what it is? You know what it is to those who are not being saved? It's the stench of death. Did you know that? Paul wrote that. You know what it is to God and to those who are being saved? those who who have eyes to see and ears to hear and noses to smell the gospel is oh it's it's a, it's a beautiful melody it's 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 like loving hands on your face it's like a warm embrace when you're oh, you've had enough it's the finish line in the distance that you gives you that extra push. It's wonderful. Wonderful. And it's revealing. And John says, this is what makes my joy complete. Let men and women of God, children of God, don't let worldly 
definitions of success and effectiveness stop you from realizing your full joy. Because all you got to do is open your mouth and sing a song. And it's the song that fills up your joy. And when they turn and walk the other way, though some part of you may be sad, the other part will be rejoicing. Because you've done what God called you to do. And your joy will be filled up full. The last part of the sermon, I want to go back to Revelation. and <clears throat> It says here, it says, Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So John's been given a revelation of what is written about Jesus and what Jesus said about himself, this, this scope of Christ. Jesus Christ said in John 5, 39 that, that all of these teach about me. Speaking of the Old Testament scriptures, he, uh, on, an, on another occasion, said he opened up their minds starting in Moses and he, and he showed them how the whole, whole book taught about him. Well, he opened up John's eyes to see something. And, and, and oh, uh, well, I'm not going to jump forward, but there's a, right after this, he gives him this revelation. And, and, and those of you who need to hear, you'll hear. When John gets this revelation and it just, you know, let it rain, open up the floodgates of heaven. When, when God opens up those floodgates and it just, poof, that, that dumping of the Holy Spirit, that dumping of the waterfall, that rain just poof, put him on his face. I said he fell down like a dead man. You know what he needed to get back up? the gospel and he he showed him he said Josh I, I'm not trying to tell you about I want you to see this is your is your is your faith a, a word faith or is it something that you could oh that's a good word I don't even mean to go down that road is your message a word faith or is it can, is your faith one that you can see you can feel you can touch you can smell it carries you through day to day because what do you call something that you can see, feel, taste, touch what do you call it tangible, real do you have a real faith or do you have a word faith and he says the last verse he says blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy there's one blessed and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. He says, blessed are those who read it aloud. Blessed are those who hear it. And blessed are those who keep it. Now, the reading aloud of the word brings blessedness. The hearing of the word brings blessedness. The doing of the word brings blessedness or blessing. But what is the necessary precondition that has already been laid out in the verses for this blessing to become a reality in your life. You got to know him. He's got to be revealed. He's got to be made known. You got to see him. You see it? You see it? The revelation of Jesus Christ is to bring blessing through the, the, the reading, hearing, and doing of the word. But it is all built on a foundation of knowing Jesus intimately. 
and coming to know him and seeing him for who he is. Now, this word, this word revealing, it takes us from a level of professionality to a level of intimacy. It takes us to a place that many so-called believers never get to. They don't see Jesus in his true colors. They see him as a, a God with rules out there somewhere that they could never measure up to. And they fail to realize that that's missing the whole point. He says, you have not received a spirit of slavery that leads into fear again, but a spirit of adoption of sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. It's this, that's this Greek term for Papa. And it's this intimate knowledge. It's, it's like Jesus is saying, let me take my coat off. I'm going to sit with you for a little while. No formalities. No formalities. You know me. You can relax around me. You know who I am. You know when, when me and my boys. Like if, you, like if you see me like this, and this is the only way that you see me, you probably don't know me too good. If this is the only way you see me. But my boys, you know, they don't see me in this stuff. My, my son looked at me on the way out. He said, you wearing your suit? I got it on, don't I? But why would he say, and he said it real weird. He's like, you wearing your suit? Why did he say that? Because I just look weird. Because Why? Because he knows me. You see, Jesus, what, later on in the section, he said, I'm standing at the door knocking. I want to come in and eat with you. I want to sit down and have a meal together. Those of you who know me really well, and some of you I grew up with, you know that this, this really ain't me, right? Oh, I knew something like that would happen. This ain't really me. The closer you get, the more revealed someone is, right? Like Provo, man, I like that shirt, but that ain't you. You know what I'm saying? You dressed up to come here. I, I never understand the whole suit thing at church. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's fine. If you want to wear a suit, that's fine. If that's who you are, that's fine. But like, why we get all formal to go see Jesus? You know? My kids know this. I mean, when I'm around my kids, I just get comfortable. You know what I mean? You say, your, your pastor stripped the church today. Man, that was so hot. I feel so much better. What, what, what just happened here? It did get real, didn't it? We just got comfortable. But what did I do? I just revealed some of me, right? I, I got comfortable in front of you. Oh, man, I hate dress shoes. But, you know, you just get comfortable. And, and you, you know, this is more me already. And I still got these to go. Y'all think I'm kidding. Live stream, baby.
Man. Now. Now those of you who come by my house think this is what I look like. Oh, I feel so much better. David, I know this is your first time here. Don't usually go down like this, dog. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know y'all was coming. <laughs> I would have put something proper on. What just happened? I just really revealed myself. This is what, this is what my boys usually see me in. Because I, when I lounge around the house, actually, I sleep in these shorts all the time. I do. I, I, I go, you know, play ball or play in the yard, throw some ball. If you see me in this more than you see me in that, it's almost guaranteed you know me a lot better than someone who sees me in that more than they do in this. Get the picture? Jesus Christ is like, hey, man, let's, let's, let's put all these formalities to the side. Let's put all this religious stuff to the side. Let's get real. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The revelation of Jesus Christ. What's, what's the whole book about? Huh? Unfailing. Seeing Christ for who he is. And I don't want to get too sexual on you. I know there's kids in here. But there's only one person in this world that you should know so well that you know what they taste like. What they feel like what they smell like. And there's different levels of that, but I was just praying over this word and God showed me something that I do that I didn't even know that I did, but he revealed it to me. My dad wasn't really around when I was young. Y'all know that. You know my testimony. Some have heard more of my testimony than others. But my dad wasn't really around. But I longed, and still do to some degree, I longed for a relationship with my dad. And you know the memories that I have most of my dad is when we lived in this, this broke-down old trailer with no power. He lived there. I just went and visited he lived in this broke down old awful looking trailer no power no running water the only source of heat was a wood stove in the trailer which is I don't know how dangerous but since it was so cold and I, this memory is like right there right there you know why it's right there and I have a terrible memory that's my wife you know why it's right there it's because when I would go over at that point in my life I don't even know when it was it was so cold in the house that I had to sleep. We, there was this little bitty sofa thing. And it was not like a regular sofa. It was a wooden sofa with cushions on it. But I had to sleep right next to my dad. And I can, rem I can remember to this day what he smelled like. Now, it was probably no running water in the house, you know. But to me... I ain't even never thought about this. To me, it was beautiful. It was just his, 
just his smell. And I can still feel it in the nose, in my nose. And somebody else might even thought it smelled not to me. Take it in. And I'll cherish those. And we're kind of getting a little raw here, but with my boys, I don't know if you think it's weird or not, but I just, not all the time, but almost every night, I just dote on my boys. You know, I got a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old. And each one of them individually, I go and, and I'll get right down on top of them. Arms on each side, and I'll kiss them right on the lips. And I'll turn his head to the side, and I'll kiss him on the neck. And I'll turn his head, and I'll kiss him on the other there laughing. And I just hug them real tight, and I squeeze them up next to me, and squeeze them until they go, uh, And then I just rub on them. I rub on them, and I rub my ear on their ear, just... And they just, man, they rub right back. And, you know, I can, I can, man, I can uh, teach them all I want. Show them exegesis. I'm trying. Teach them, teach them about the Trinity. <clears throat> I'm trying. But it won't matter. It won't. None of that'll matter if they can't smell me, touch me. But one day when they get older, <laughs> you know what I want to happen? I want them to be walking through, and I may be long gone. But I want my boys, who maybe at that time will have boys. And they'll have girls. And I want them to be walking through the mall or something and walk by some aqua de Joe. That's what I wear. And I want them to go. And I want them to think of the Trinity. I want them to think of Jesus when they smell. They think of Daddy, but all these floods of instruction and all of this flood of doctrine and who Jesus was would flood through embrace and the smell of that cologne and the, the just the, some, they'll rub against something that's like my five o'clock shadow and they'll go oh, and they'll press into it and they'll see Jesus that's what I pray for that I revealed myself to my son that's what Jesus wants to do. It's not, this ain't a religion. This ain't instructions. This is the God of the universe who became a man to grab you and rub against you and get his scent all over you so that when you... Because that's my daddy. So that's where the blessing is. That's for the blessing in us. And daddies, you doggone, you kiss your boys on the lips until it's just slam weird. 
It's getting that way with Titus, but I'm pressing on. I'm not giving you a kiss. No, it's good. As we all stand to our feet, I just, I don't even know what the invitation should be like, but I, I would ask this question, I guess. How well do you know him? How well do you know him? Is he your master and your creator? The beginning and the end. Is he the fragrance? Is he the aroma of life? Do you long to, to lay down and cuddle with him? Do you long to be embraced by him? Do you long to hear his word? Is it on the tip of your tongue? When you, when you get blessed by an embrace, do you think of Christ? And if not... I would call you to repent and come to the one who longs to throw his arms around you and say, welcome home. If you do, I ask that wherever you are, whether you come down here or whether you stay out there, that you, that you give him praise, honor, and glory that he's seen fit to call you into this glorious relationship with him. Cry out in praise that you are one of the elect of God. You are one of the servants of the Most High that has been granted the honor of being called His servant. And I just want to say to you, Jesus, that I love you and I'm sorry of where I've failed you. And thank you for your forgiveness. Do business with God.